I don't do the most, but I do a lot. I'ma make a toast, cause we still alive. No big, I feel like Pac. I shoot a shot. I'm coming in hot. And we are back. This is the Fat Packs Podcast on the Beckett Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Eric. What's going on, everybody? Big shout out to all my sponsors, uh, Dynasty Breaks over at DynastyBreaks.com. New customers get $5 credit on their first break. Make sure you're checking them out. Also want to give a shout out to Pastime Marketplace. If you need a graded card case, use code FATPACKS at PastimeMarketplace.com on your checkout. Get yourself 20% off. Big shout, uh, shout out to Bill and the team over there. Also want to thank uh, Vintage Breaks. Love having Leighton on last week as he talked about their huge event. They gave away a Babe Ruth autograph last week. Somebody won that. That's that's nuts. You heard about it right here on the Fat Packs. Make sure you're checking out uh, Vintage Breaks and JustCollect.com. And, of course, uh, Filth Bomb, the newest uh, part of the team here at that at fat packs and one of uh gonna have steven on just a little later in the show uh, as we talk about his uh his origin story his his history of collecting how he got into cards in his breaking uh empire i'm gonna call it empire he has like thirty thousand followers on 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 twitter which is crazy i i have nowhere near that so congrats i feel like i should be sponsoring him you know all right let's get to it we got a Pretty pretty loaded show here. We have back to back to back interviews. We don't do that quite as often, uh, you know, as we do in the past, as we've had in the past. We you know we've done it. You know, sometimes the show format ends up like that, but just so happens that this week it does. Uh, as you heard last week here on the show that we had the CBCS Grading Expo Monday or Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday of this week. So we had um, a lot of comic book nerds. I'm just, that's a real nice term when I say that. Cause I was, I turned into a comic book nerd myself this week and it was a, it was a fun culture to be a part of just, even if it was just for a few days, uh, they're, they're those guys really know their stuff, man. And I learned a lot about comic grading that I didn't know, uh, you know, hadn't no clue. So it was a fun conversation, uh, fun, great panels. And then, uh, Donnie Cates of, well, Thor, I want to say Thor fame, but he, you know, he wrote Venom, he wrote Thor, he he's worked on Spider Man, he he was here uh, doing a public signing, and he also hopped over on the mic and uh, gave a little bit of his history. And then Sam De La Rosa, the famed uh, one of the famed artists of Venom, especially that nineteen nineties uh, Venom, early nineties Venom, uh, is when you would probably recognize his work the most. He he hopped on as well, got two great conversations about about their histories and with comics. And um, you know how how they got started in the industry, and you know what what's what's coming up next for some of the big characters. Uh, that one that Donnie's working on, and then what Sam's doing as well. And it it was it was an eye opening experience. As like I said, it was it was I just learned stuff that I I had no idea about. And I I hope that you next time we have a grading comic expo comic book expo, and if you're a comic book dealer, you should probably make it out because it was it was a it was a learning experience and if i'm sure you're already if you're in it like that you already know it but it's it's still a great a great time to be had so uh we have donny cates and sam delaressa on the show a little later a little later like i said we're gonna have steven from uh filth bomb filth bomb breaks on we're gonna get his his origin story but before we get into all that we need to do new products and new pricing um new pricing bowman chrome draft and bowman draft are both priced for you now in your online price guide, so go check those out and let me know what you think about the pricing. I'm just kidding. No one does that. No one does that, but you know you can if you want to. Send me an email. I'll answer you directly. 
have no problem doing that. Then new new card wise, uh, new products wise, it's been, it's it's a fun week. Let's hit the entertainment first. Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, black and white. I'm not a huge fan of the black and white uh, line, but I can see where people do enjoy it. It's a it's a a smaller set to be collected in the, in the Star Wars world, so it's not a horribly you know you're not trying to break your back trying to get a master collection or whatever. I know that there are people out there that do that, but it's a it's a fun it's a fun concept for what it is. But I'm not a huge fan of it. But please go check it out because you do get the, the autographs in it are are awesome. So if you're, you're a fan of Star Wars, or especially Return of the Jedi, this is probably the product for you to pick up this year. 2020 tops Garbage Pail Kids Series One Late to School. That those <laughs> I haven't opened Garbage Pail packs in uh, probably about six or seven months. And I, I love it when the new stuff comes out. So uh, look for those uh, at your hobby shops and your LCSs. And let's, let's see what you got. 2020 Onyx Milestones Collections autographed tickets. Those are out. 2019 Leaf Metal Draft Baseball is out. 2020 Super Break Super Deluxe Greatest of All is out. And then finally, 2019-20 Upper Deck Synergy Hockey is out as well. I like Synergy. I like the brand. It's not again like I was saying about the top Star Wars. It's not for everybody. I like the chase element in Synergy and the different colors. That's just me. Go pick those up. Please uh, hit your hobby shops and and have fun. If you can find them in a break, do it that way. And you know, check out Dynasty Breaks, obviously, and Filth Bomb, and and, and see what you can find there. But let let's post those hips up hits up. Let's see what you got. I'm talking a little fast because I feel like I'm crammed for time because I got to get this whole three interview show in. So I'm going to slow down just for a minute as I talk about the Hall of Fame. Derek Jeter was a lock, right? <laughs> Everybody knew that, but for him to not get a unanimous uh, a unanimous uh, voting is is kind of beyond me. I, I don't quite understand it, and I could see I could see where. You know, your purists say, you know, well, you know, Garrick didn't get it and Ruth didn't get it. And, what, you know, yeah, yeah, I got it. That's an old way of thinking. But my problem, I don't I don't really have a, so much of a problem him not getting unanimous, unanimously voted, voted in. I almost expected it. And I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know if this is a hoax or or it, it's somebody's, you know, playing a trick on the baseball loving world. But somebody posted a picture of the ballad who of the guy who didn't vote for Derek Jeter because it was just one vote and he voted for Jason Giambi over Derek Jeter. You've got to be kidding me. That is insane <laughs> to put Giambi that your vote for Giambi over Jeter. Maybe it was a miscue. Maybe I don't, if that's right, if that's a real pitcher, that guy needs to have his vote taken away. That's that doesn't make any sense at all. I know if you, I know you A's fans out there and later Yankee fans out there might fight me about it, but that's fine. Giambi is not – Giambi doesn't deserve a vote over Derek Jeter. And then you have Larry Walker. Man, here's the thing. I, I spent some time in Denver. I, had, I, I, I was able to see a little bit of, of Larry's career there, and I appreciate what he did. Everybody remembers him on that was it that ninety three Expos team or ninety four Expos team that was amazing. Everybody loves what he did there. He got voted in, I believe, on his last year of eligibility, 
over guys like Del Murphy and Fred McGriff. Fred, I'm going to specifically hone in on Fred McGriff here, who had way better numbers than Larry Walker and did not have the added benefit of playing at Coors Field. Also, I've never seen Fred McGriff wear a SpongeBob SquarePants shirt. What in the world is up with SpongeBob SquarePants making its way onto a Hall of Famer's back and being on Twitter and social media everywhere? Why are you wearing? You're a you know you're f- what 45, 46, 50 years old. I don't. You're up there in age. Why are you wearing a SpongeBob SquarePants shirt? Why do you have that on? That's ridiculous. That's like me going to Walmart and picking up one of those. Howling Wolf shirts looking like Dwight Schrute. I don't get it, man. <laughs> I don't get it. It's Stop wearing SpongeBob stuff. And stop wearing Crocs. I bet you wear Crocs, too. Stop wearing those. Anyways, that's just my two cents about the Hall of Fame. They got it right, except for Larry Walker. But, you know, with Jeter, they got it right. He should be in, obviously. But SpongeBob SquarePants is unforgivable. Cannot, is, you just can't forgive that. All right, I'll, I'll be quiet now. Let's get on to, uh, uh, we're, we're going to start with Donnie Cates, and then we'll uh, hit Sam De La Rosa. And then on the other side of that, uh, the back-to-back-to-back interview with uh, Stephen from Filth Bombs. You guys hang tight. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey, Jake Roy here from 90s All Cards, and you're listening to the Fat Packs. All right, guys, we're back after that quick break, and uh, really excited to have my next guest here with me. It's Donnie Cates. You uh, know him from Stegman and his Amazing Friends podcast. You know him from uh, Venom. You know him from Thor. And right now, you're going to hear him on the Fat Packs. What's up, Donnie? How hey, are you? man. How you doing, buddy? I'm excited that you're here. I told you off air, my son is like super stoked that you're here. Yeah. Thor is like through the roof, one of his favorite things right cool, now. Cool, mine so, too. Yeah, obviously. So <laughs> uh, hey, let's, before we get into all that, I want to get a little bit of your backstory. Like, mm-hmm. How did you get into comic books? Oh, man. Uh, so I'm from Garland. I'm a, I'm a hometown boy here. Um, I was into comics my entire life. There was a... Um, a town east mall. Yeah, there used to be a little um, baseball card store in there, and my brother was real big into baseball cards. Okay, and I was not, but this place also had comic books in it, and so I mean, I was I couldn't even read yet. I mean, I was a little bitty baby. I mean, I was three, four, or something like that. Sure. And um, my dad basically said, "I'll buy you, uh, I'll buy you all these comics if you'll promise me that that that, that you'll sit down and, and learn to read on them." Sure. So the com- comics were the first thing I ever read. Um, it was Green Lantern and Spider-Man. Um, and then eventually a big turning point for me was just, um, do you know where Solly's is? The, no. pizza, the pizza joint? Well, I'll give a plug to my favorite <laughs> pizza joint. It's on Garland Road um, over there by where the, I went to Garland High School, Go Owls. Um, and right over there next to the YMCA and the pizza joint, um, it's where the, um, there's an arcade over there. UA8 used to be over there. I'm sure there's a lot of people right now. They're like, Oh, that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there used to be a comic book sh- shop right over there called, um, JT's comics yeah. when I was growing up and I found that place and I did not understand that there was places that sold just comics. And I went in there and I saw, um, this giant jet black shadow with teeth mm. with a big spider on his chest. And I was right. like, who? 
is that? And they're like, that's Venom. And I was hooked. I was I was there. Nice. Um, I'm actually I'm I'm st- I'm sitting about three feet away from the man who inked that image that I'm talking about. <laughs> but Venom was my kind of way into it, um, and uh, just been into comics my whole life, man. Never stopped. So were you a vi- were you a Venom guy from then on, or like did you jump from character to character? Oh, definitely. I mean, Venom was kind of like I was like reading like here and there, like whatever I could find at the at the drugstore. They had like a, a rack, and I just pick out off sure. there. But Venom was the first book that I, I I was like all in on that I needed to collect everything and like mm-hmm. really know every inch of the storyline and make sure. sure that I was following it all. And then of course that branches out into Maximum Carnage, which branched out into everything and everything. And then I just started reading everything. I was always a Marvel guy. Yeah. Um, even though my name is DC, <laughs> which I got made fun of endlessly for. <laughs> That's pretty funny actually. Yeah. So uh, a l- little inside story. You don't you don't know this and you if you, you, you if anybody asked, you didn't hear from me. Somebody in this <laughs> building today said, Donny Cates is to DC what San, uh, Stan Lee is to Marvel. I was like, Donny Cates never worked for DC. That's so. the craziest thing I've ever <laughs> yeah, heard in my life. That's not I've the never, truth. I've never worked for DC <laughs> yeah. one time in my whole life. So we cleared that up real fast. <laughs> <laughs> so we got that done. But all right, so... How did you get into writing for for Venom? Was Venom your first book you wrote for? No, 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 no. no. I I had been in the industry for a long time before Venom. I mean, I I mean, Venom I've been on for two years and change now. Uh, I've been writing professionally for uh, almost ten. Okay. Um, So... I grew up as an artist. Uh, I, I well, I ran a chain of comic book stores in Austin. All right. Um, I ran them into the ground, <laughs> um, and then when they all went under, I just def- I just desperately still wanted to be in the industry somehow. And um, uh, I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design to learn how to be a penciler because they actually offer like a master's degree in comics there. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I ended up being in classes with Jeff Shaw uh, that I did God Country with and Buzzkill and the Paybacks and my Thanos run and my Guardians run. Um, and uh, who else is in my class? Trad Moore, who I just did my Silver Surfer run with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, suffice to say, phenomenal talents that I was never going to be that. I was never going to be as good as those guys on my sure. on my best day. And so, part of the of the um, of the of the course load that you have to take in there is that they they make you kind of. Uh, learn everything. So I was in a mandatory uh, like comics writing class, and I had never written a word in my life uh, before 2009. Okay, and so I had a a, a professor there, a man named Mark Nice, uh, who took me aside and said, "You could be good at this if you tried." Um, and so I tried, and one day I'll be good at it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I uh, from there I got an internship at Marvel during the summer, um, which is I it was good for me because I I learned the the pace that these things are made at and like what what the demand really is for sure. it. Um, that did not help me get hired on as a writer, though. They're, they're not overly in the business of hiring interns to write comics for them, you know? Sure. Um, so I left my internship and I started making um, indie comics. I did, first book I ever did was a, a little eight-page short story that I got, I got published in Dark Horse Presents mm-hmm. in 2011. I did two of those, and then I got a uh, uh, I, I did a four issue series called Buzzkill, which I co wrote with the drummer of the Toadies. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, which is the if people ask me how to break in, I always say, well, find a platinum selling rock band mm-hmm. uh, and become friends with them. It's just that easy. <laughs> um, the Toadies are the Toadies local too, right? Absolutely, yeah, man. So- totally. Mark Rez uh, is a buddy of mine via. A different buddy of mine, uh, Wes. Uh, I went to. I was. I've known him since I was six years old, and he ended up becoming their tour manager. 
And then it turns out like half the guys in the toadies are huge comic book dorks. And so sure. we like came up with this idea for this thing. He had the money to like pay somebody to draw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did Buzzkill. And then right after that, I did two other books for Dark Horse. And then from there, Heavy Metal. Um, I, I wrote Star Trek for a little bit. Um, and then really, I, I did a bunch of stuff that no one cared about, mm-hmm. that no one read, that, that, that really low selling stuff. And then my first image book I did was a book called God Country, which is about Texas and all kinds of weird Kirby stuff. <laughs> and that got everyone's attention. Yeah. And right after that, I did God Country, Redneck, Baby Teeth, and then got hired for Marvel. That So God Country came out in January of 2017. Uh, by June of 2017, I was an exclusive writer for Marvel and have been there ever since. God Country, Redneck, and Baby Teeth sounds like a Friday night in Springtown, Texas. <laughs> it it's doesn't just, it? Just, yeah. Well, funny. you know what? I think that that was a big deal. That like Why um, why people kind of cottoned on to my work at that point because I started I – started, I stopped trying to like sound like what I thought a comic book writer should sound like. Sure. And I started just writing about stuff that I was interested in and, and, and from like – I started to write what I knew, which was West Texas, East Texas mm-hmm. – Satan, <laughs> the Antichrist, right. giant Kirby gods. You know, I started to kind of write in what I think of nowadays as my my voice. Sure, you know, and people, you know, sh- you know, shockingly, people tend to show up when you when you when you kind of true to yourself, right? You know, so you you ultimately land at Marvel. You're, you're writing for them exclusively. Mm-hmm. Like, is that like a, obviously it is, but. What's that moment like for you? Like, is that it? You've made it to the pinnacle, and now now you're there, and now mm-hmm. you got to prove yourself. Or yeah. So the thing that you find out is, you know, growing up, uh, yeah, the, the dream was always to be a writer for Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, once I started thinking that I wanted to be a writer or just to make comics, I mean, Marvel was always the top of my mountain, and I genuinely thought um, when God Country came out, we started getting a little bit of a of, of a you know, a, a following. Um, I genuinely thought I was like, all right, well, cool. Now I'm on a path where they will pay attention to me. It might take three or four years. I'll keep on building a body of work here, mm-hmm. and I'll get their attention. Because Marvel and DC are like the NFL. You don't go to them. They come to you. Correct. They watch who's doing right. good, right? And it happened to me within like three months. Like I thought that I, I had this five-year plan for myself. Sure. That I'll eventually be there. It happened in like four months. Wow. Um and what you well thanks but what you learn is um when you get to the top of the mountain there's just more mountain mm. you know there is no top you know right. you just get up there and like i got there and i got my entire like my my dream job my dream of you know just of of my my life's long dream mm-hmm. and then i got there and i was like oh i still have to just like work Right. I still gotta go, you know. And so now it's just a, it's an exercise in in in, uh, you know. Now that I'm there and I'm safe, um, it's just an exercise in trying to do really quality work. That's the only thing that I have any control over is sure. the books that I put out, you know. And I think having been a comic book retailer and working in shops has influenced a lot of what I do because I I tend to think that. Um, um, the most important thing that I look at in my books is, is this worth $4? Mm-hmm. You know, is there enough comic in this comic to be worth your time? Because, I mean, we're dealing with, uh, I mean, we're competing with Netflix and films and books and all these things. And, you know, a $5, $4 investment in 20 pages of art is is a big ask. Sure. You know, and so I like to think that if there is a Donny Cates brand 
I don't know what that what that really means, but if there is one, it's that you you get a you get a good amount of bang for your buck from every sure. book. Absolutely. Well, by the crowd of people who are here today to see you, I think that you're doing all right. Well, right? I, just... I like to for now. We'll <laughs> yeah. see. <laughs> so you mentioned I, I want to go back because you touched on something that like piqued my interest. You said the speed at which these things are being produced. Yeah, sure. Like. How fast? What's the turnaround time from from when a book goes to print? Like, are you immediately working on the next book? Well, so it, it it's it's different for every writer. It just depends on how many books you're writing. Artists can only work on one book at a time, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it's about a page a day for most artists is what's is, is what's required. Um, but for writers, it's just it just depends on 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 what you can on on what you can do. Sure, you know, um, I have written as many as nine books, um, like nine monthly books at a time. Okay, just because a lot of things that's insane. Yeah, it sounds that's insane. insane. Uh, I you shouldn't do that. I'm writing. Seven books right now, um, and sometimes what that looks like. I've had a schedule. I've had there was a year there. I think it was probably 2018, where for the better part of the year, for about eight months of the year, I had a script due every three days. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and so what that looks like is two days each of writing ten pages, which ten pages in a day is not the end of the world. It's fine, um, and then I take one day, quote unquote, off where I'm outlining. Um, because the worst thing when you're on that on when you're on on that kind of a schedule, the worst thing that you can do is have a book come on come down the line and you don't know what happens in that issue. Sure, you know you're just like it's just like a blank page. So <laughs> I have outlines out, you know, like I like crazy. I outline like crazy. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 the gig. Um, but like I'm trying to think about average turnaround. There's not really an average turnaround. I mean, they come out once a month, right? right? They have to. Right. Um so um something is going to get written. <laughs> something. <laughs> well, the thing is is like for me, um you know, I I keep that pace um I don't know cuz I'm a maniac and if I if I if I have too much downtime, I feel like I'm you know, not taking care of my family or something. Sure. There's absolutely no reason that I should be writing that many books, but mm-hmm. at the same time, Everyone who works on these books pays their rent based on me turning in scripts. Right. I have a real hard time wrapping my head around the idea of um, of being late or not taking it seriously or dropping a book off because I'm putting I'm putting like seven or eight people out of work. Sure, you know that's, yeah, it's a it's big, big responsibility, responsibility. You know, yeah. and and so every week, you know, I have buddies who are artists who sit around and wait and wait and wait and wait for their writer to turn in, you know, a script. And we're just like, honey, it ain't that precious. Right. Like, let's <laughs> let's turn something in. Let's get people paid and fed. Sure. You know? It's just a work ethic, man. You just got to, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like, I've done construction. I was a cook for a long time. You know, I've done I've done every crappy job out there. And this, this quote-unquote job is me sitting around in my sweatpants in the AC. Yeah. So it ain't that critical. Right. You know? I mean, I, I take my job very seriously, <laughs> but, like, come on. No, I get you. I get yeah. what you're saying uh, completely. Um, so I got to ask this. Have you ever turned in a script and then got artwork back and like, oh my god, this guy nailed it. This is exactly what I wanted to what wanted to see in this scene. Or? Almost every time. Almost every time. Almost okay. every time. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, I've been very blessed in that the guys that I work with, I consider all of them uh, some of my best friends. Ryan Stegman, who I do uh, the majority of my. Venom Run with uh, is genuinely one of my best friends, if not my best friend. Um, we everything that he turned because thing is, a, 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 a comic book script is not really like a screenplay. Mm-hmm. It's not really like like down to the 
panel like um, requirements. Um, some people write them like that. Um, I'm definitely very detailed in my scripts, but I always I always think of them. It's just a letter between two people. Mm-hmm. It's a letter that only like three people are ever gonna read, like the artist, the editor, and me, mm-hmm. right? And so I always tell every artist that I work with, hey, this is how I see it in my head, but if you if you think of a better way to pull this off, this action scene or whatever, you know, um, go for it. We'll both we'll figure it out. Comics is a team sport, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you if you have the right guys, the right girls on the on a book, it's uh it's amazing. I mean, I always tell people like, this is what my job is. You know how you, people go to com- Comic-Cons and they find their favorite artists and they pay them to draw stuff for them? They'd be like, hey, will you draw me a sketch of Batman? I'll give you 200 bucks." you know? Sure. What my job is, is that I tell the best artists in the world what to draw and then they pay me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's a pretty, it's, a, it's a dumb job that shouldn't exist. That's and a nice gig, right? <laughs> it's a pretty nice gig if you can get it, yeah. Awesome. What's been your what's been your like your like your favorite character that you've worked on so far? Um Venom's very important? dear to my heart for yeah. sure. Thor is 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 proving to be uh very fun. I'll tell you what though, every single chance I get a I, I get the opportunity to write Peter Parker. Yeah. Um I like I take it real seriously. I really <laughs> do. Like I think that Spider Man is such an icon and he's such an important character. Um I mean he's He's in the Macy's Day Parade. Like he's right. on. He's on. When you get a check from Marvel, it has Spider Man on it. Like it's it's a big deal, you know. And so I always really slow down and really think about what I'm doing when Peter Parker is involved. Um, uh, I actually carried the Macy's Day Parade. I I, oh, I carried nice. Spider Man in the Macy's Day Parade, which is a a a long story you know, that I will tell some other time, but. Uh, the long and short of it is uh, I was supposed to go and get trained to do it, and I for sure did not. You did not. And I kind of just snuck my way into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i got to bring up Stan Lee because you brought up Spider-Man. Sure, yeah. Did you get to meet Stan? Yeah, I met Stan twice. Um, uh, I wrote a letter in the back of uh, Silver Surfer Black as a series that I did. Um, so Stan always said that it, the, of all of his creations, Silver Surfer was his favorite. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, he was very big into that. You know, Stan was so good at that amazing purple prose, that quasi-Shakespearean, very excitable, mm-hmm. very, like, flowery language. And he could really dive in and do that on Surfer more than anyone else. And um, it just so happened that I was uh, I was writing Silver Surfer, my first issue, um, when I learned that Stan passed. Mm. And it dawned on me that I was going to be writing the first Silver Surfer book to come out with him not on this planet. Mm. Uh, and so I like erased my entire thing and rewrote the entire thing. And I named it Silver Surfer Black because that's what you wear when you're in mourning. Right. All right. You're offered. How does that work? Are you offered Thor? Are you given Thor? Tell me, tell me about that. How did you get Thor? Because it's a big deal. So I did, I did this book called God Country. And um, I... Uh, wait, I just found out that I just got nominated for a Bram Stoker Award. That's pretty sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Right here on the show. Yeah. I just found, I'm sorry. I'm so distracted. <laughs> I just fine. got nominated for a Bram Stoker Award. That's dope. Um, so I had done this book called God Country, which got the attention of um, our then editor-in-chief, Axel Alonzo. And um, they knew that it was coming eventually that Jason Naren was going to be winding down on Thor. Sure. Um, and it was going to be coming in the next few years. And so my exclusive contract with Marvel was actually in place so that I would be there to take over Thor. 
Um, and so I have known for about three years that I was going to be on Thor. Oh, awesome. Yeah, which is good because I, Jason's a friend, and he's also my favorite writer on the planet. And so it was really good because Jason and I were able to kind of talk about the handoff for a long time. And it's one of those things where, like, I'm I'm the biggest Jason Aaron Thor fan ever. Sure. Um, and which is kind of strange because when you come on a new title, um, it is kind of your responsibility to as respectfully as possible knock down everything and make it your own. And that was really hard for me to do on Thor because it was my favorite writer. Right. You know, um, but Jason encouraged me a lot to make it my own. And so, um, you know, you, you, you kind of have to, you know. Sure. And so he left me in a really great spot. You know, at the end of Jason's run, Thor becomes king of Asgard. And so mm-hmm. not only did they give me the most powerful character in the entire pantheon, they gave they, they made him a king as right. well. So like it's pretty sweet, dude. <laughs> it's a pretty sweet gig. Can, all right, got you got. Can you please give me one thing? What's what's something you want to do with Thor that maybe hasn't been done yet? I that, can't that, tell you that. Oh, I can't come tell on. you that because I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing yeah. it. I'm all doing right. everything. I mean, I just made him a herald of Galactus yeah. in my first issue. Um, that's we're gonna things are just gonna get weirder and weirder and crazier. I mean, that's the great thing about Thor is that your capacity. Um, for the stories you can tell is infinite. You know, there's mm-hmm. only there's only so much that you can really do with a power set like Peter Parker's. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you 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 I mean you can get Peter Parker in space if you need to, but it's right. you, you're gonna have to you know you have to do a little bit of work. Um, uh, but with Thor, I mean, you you can do anything. Absolutely. You know? For you guys who don't know what a Herald of Galactus is, he's basically Galactus uh, Galactus's jabroni now like he, he kind of does what what galactus tells <laughs> well, him to do well thor would <laughs> thor would have words with you about that <laughs> all right uh, donnie thanks so much for being here of I really course, appreciate man. It, thank man. you uh you guys hang tight we'll be right back i think uh mr sam de la rosa is going to come in here and talk a little bit about venom as well so hang tight we'll be back after this uh quick break hey this is jared with pristine auction and you're listening to fat packs all right, guys, thanks for hanging out after that quick break. We just had Donnie Cates on, the, the, one of the writers for Venom, and now we're going to move right along to an absolute legend in the comic book game, Mr. Sam De La Rosa, the, one, one of the original artists of Venom. How are you doing, sir? Good. Glad to be here. I'm so happy that you are here. So um, I got to tell you, when I think Venom, I think this big, nasty, gnarly monster, you know, and you, this, this kindly man walks in. <laughs> you know, I, I just enjoy... The, the the physique, uh, the physical nature of Venom. Um, so that was always, uh, you know, a, an attraction and a very enjoyable character to have worked on. Absolutely, I can I can I can tell. Your your work is is world renowned uh, with that. But let's let's go back. Let's start at the beginning. How long? Like, what got you into comic books? Uh, I always liked drawing as a little kid okay. in grade school, mm-hmm. and uh, then I uh, saw uh, comic books. And I just transitioned over to drawing comic book characters, okay. and I I wanted to make that uh, my job, my living, and that's what I pursued. Sure, and uh, uh, just lucky that I was able to do that. Absolutely. Who who gave you a break? Like obviously, you didn't start with Venom. Like where did you start? You know, I I would go to uh, comic conventions and and show the artists that were working for companies there my work and they mm-hmm. were very encouraging but I had been sending in samples to Marvel since uh, the early 70s about 1972 Wow! when I started and uh, I got encouraging remarks and that kept me trying to improve my work 
um, until I finally got accepted. You know, uh, people like uh, Rich Buckler at DC Comics really mm-hmm. wanted me to work on his material and spoke highly of me to his editor-in-chief, Dick Giordano. And uh, finally, they uh, gave me work on uh, Rich's uh, layouts for World's Finest. Mm-hmm. And at Marvel, Bob Layton saw what I was doing with Rich Buckler's work at DC. He had worked with Rich Buckler at DC before, so uh, he thought I was doing good work. Mm -hmm. And when he needed help on his project, uh, the Hercules miniseries, which is the first, the world's first miniseries ever, uh, he uh, asked his editor, his editor agreed, and I got to help Bob on Hercules. Awesome. So so from there, how do you get to Venom? Because... The, the the concept of Venom was a, it was a new character. It was awesome. You got to be excited. That it, does that offer to you, or do you like put in for it? Yeah, you know, uh, I had just been doing uh, uh, comic books for Marvel. I I do a couple a month uh, for years. Uh, it started in 1982, so you know, Venom was created in uh, 1988 by mm-hmm. David Michelini and Todd McFarlane. He had been appearing in Amazing Spider-Man books, right? And I had worked on Venom um, in some other stories. And uh, the Spider-Man editors, Danny Fingeroth, really liked what I was doing. And he wanted me on the project. And he told me half a year before oh. the, the book's appearance that, you know, um, he would like me on that book. But I couldn't say anything about it. Yeah. So for half a year, I knew what I was going to be doing. Uh, but I couldn't tell people what 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 it was that, but that some been, guest that must have been tough though right I yeah mean, it, w- it was but some guest <laughs> I, I could tell him it was a spider-man related project and that was good enough to get people guessing awesome very awesome so your most iconic cover probably is is the one that's all over your 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 table here tell me about that because that like where did the concept for that come from yeah you know uh um uh, Mark Bagley penciled the cover. Uh, I inked the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also uh, worked on all six issues of Lethal Protector. The first three issues, uh, Mark penciled. The last three issues, I, I got layouts by Ron Lim. So uh, uh, we had to do uh, finished pencils and inks on those. Um, but um, uh, I came up with a new background for the cover because it was blank. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know... Uh, if they were going to use anything back there, a solid color, I didn't know that they were going to use the 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 uh, um, holographics uh, web effect back there. So I did a blood splatter effect, and I'm guessing it was pretty gory. <laughs> they didn't decide to go with that; they went with the web. So I I I think they 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 did a good thing. But that is the the cover that. Uh, I enjoy the most. It's my favorite. It's it's iconic. Um, thanks to the movie, they used that image to promote the movie, mm-hmm. to promote DVD sales. It's on T-shirts by very many by many different companies. They tweak it to yeah. make it their own, but that image is is uh, produced by a lot of companies. It's on a lot of merchandise. It's on toys. Um, just nice to to see it and get the publicity from it. So how does it feel? I'm sure you've come across this at cons or whatever, but when you see that on a T-shirt at a con or, or whatever, and maybe the guy doesn't recognize you who's wearing it, is it like a little... You know, a, lot of t- a lot of people wear that shirt because, you know, they sell it at Target. They right? sell it at Hot Topic. So, yeah, um, uh, a lot of people just like the movie but are not familiar with the history. You know, I worked on that cover in 1992. Right. And most of the people that I see wearing it weren't born then. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but you know, I've got my banner there, and and on occasion, you know, they 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 read it, they notice it, they figure it out, sure, and and, and you know, uh, their jaws drop. <laughs> right, that's awesome. Did you have any like any kind of uh, input or at all with the art direction of, of Venom the movie like because you you're that's you so did they come to you at all you know they don't come to any comic book uh, creators as wow. I understand okay. it you know um, but you know I did see Jim Starlin uh, make a cameo in the Avengers movie but as far as I know you know they do their own thing uh-huh. uh, you know their source material uh, for instance for on Venom it are the the six books that I worked on sure uh, but that's as far as as that as that went you know I even thought man maybe I can get a, a, a cameo as an extra walk in somewhere in the background but you know I do about 36 shows a year in state out of state out of the country overseas mm. so you know uh, that's what I was doing but for the <laughs> next movie um, that's just wishful thinking. I sure. hope I can be an extra. <laughs> we we got to make this happen. Let's, <laughs> let's get Sam out there to Hollywood and make this happen. So you, knowing that they used the, your book, the books that you worked on for the source material, do you think they did it okay, uh, okay by it? Or you, you know, um, I knew that it wasn't going to be exactly like, like the books, but, uh, the books are the main source material. There's, mm-hmm. you know, um, the majority of the material comes from there. You know, of course, Spider-Man is not in there. They wanted to just concentrate on Venom, make that, you know, a strong character for mm-hmm. their movies and build on that. And I think they succeeded. You know, I enjoyed um, the movie. Um, before I went, you know, I had read some reviews and, and they weren't the greatest reviews. Mm-hmm. But when I saw the movie, uh, I just couldn't understand the reviews because, <laughs> you know, I enjoyed it. The audience enjoyed it. And for the premiere, um, I, I was a host of a movie house and, mm-hmm. you know, we had a, a Q&A interview and uh, the theater was um, sold out. And I, I, I got to talk to the audience on stage and tell them a little bit about me. And uh, overall, the, the experience was, was, was great. So um, I was just uh, very entertained and satisfied with the Venom movie. Awesome. That, that's glad. To, I'm glad to hear that because some, some people get disappointed when they see stuff like that. But to know that you went in with a, with a clean slate, yeah. You, were you know, some out. people are just sticklers for hey, it's not like the comic right. book exactly. But I don't think any of the movies are. Sure. You know, they they just tweak them. Right. Uh, uh, you know, um, that's just what movie studios do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I had Donnie on earlier, and we asked about Stanley. Were you? Did you ever work with Stan directly? You know, uh, the closest I got to working with Stan Lee uh, because he had he had moved from the Marvel offices in 1970. That's when he went to the West Coast. Okay. So he wasn't in the Marvel offices anymore. People think, oh, Stan Lee worked there. You work with Stan Lee, but you know that that wasn't the case. The closest I got working with him was. Uh, we did a project um, called Spider-Man, The Mutant Agenda. And it was supposed to be a crossover. It was a crossover because we did it in comic book form. Mm-hmm. Stan and his brother, Larry Lieber, mm-hmm. uh, did the Spider-Man newspaper strip. And, you know, they, they all met up in New York uh, City in the Marvel offices and, you know, decided how to coordinate that. And that was the closest I can say that, that you know, it. I work with Stan Lee. I understand. I understand. What's, what are the Marvel offices like? Is it just a big fun place or is it all, all locked down business? You know, pe- people have the impression that, you know, all the artists work in the office, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the building. They got drawing desks. That, 
that's that wasn't the case. You know, right. it was just um, you know a buildup. Uh, some artists would come in and finish material there, but really they only had you know a couple of people like Marie Severin, Herb Trimpey, of course John Romita, uh, but everybody else uh, lived in the area. They would come in, drop off the material. Now I went there, spent a week there on invitation of Jim Jim Shooter when mm-hmm. um, uh, right before the summer of '86, and I, I actually worked in the bullpen because oh. I brought my work to do. I was doing an Iron Man book and also an Eternals uh, king size book. Mm-hmm. So I worked on on that in the bullpen while I met with Shooter and the other editors, and then I went back in '96 and and did the same thing. But um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, only production people were were there in the Marvel offices, and also John Romita Sr. had an office there um, with some assistants because he was the uh, art director. Sure, awesome. So, uh, next question. Other, outside of Venom, do you have a, a character that you like to work on? You know, um, the only character that I, I can think of that comes to mind that I didn't get to work at Marvel because I worked on all the major characters mm-hmm. um, that wasn't a major character way back then when he was created is, is Deadpool. Oh, okay. I never got to work on Deadpool, and I couldn't work on Deadpool at the time because I had all the Spider-Man and Venom assignments I could handle. Right. So I had no time. You know, sure. but he wasn't he wasn't popular in '92 as big as he is now. Right, he's he's tremendous now, which yeah. which, which is great for the creators. You know, Fabian Nicieza and Rob Liefeld. Absolutely. So well, you mentioned Spider Man. That's such an iconic character. Well, how like you got to almost handle it with kid gloves, right? You you got to be careful with it. You know, it's it's a comic book that I bought as a little kid for twelve cents. Uh, first book I bought on my own was The Amazing Spider-Man number eight. Maybe it was 1964 uh, or 65, but you know I bought that for 12 cents uh, right right at my local drugstore. Um, so I enjoyed that character, that book, Stanley's writing, Steve Ditko's artwork, and later John Romita mm-hmm. uh, Senior's artwork. So you know to get to work on that on that character, I think the very first year I was at Marvel was just you know, uh, amazing to me. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's gotta be kind of mind boggling to sit down and go, Oh, I gotta do this. That's crazy. What, what are you doing now? Like what, what keeps you occupied? My job now is I'm a professional guest at comic con. There you go. That's my job. So, <laughs> you know, I, I bring, uh, items that I've worked on. I sell those, I sell posters, prints, I do sketches, remarks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I do. I do about 36, uh, appearances a year so that's about three or four a month right sometimes more one time i did 10 weekend appearances in a row oh no some <laughs> shows are three days some are some are two i do san diego that's five days Bro, yeah um i i go uh, like i said in state out of state out of the country i go to canada I go to mexico in many cities and just last year i got to, to go for my first time overseas to mm-hmm. an ireland comic-con how are you received when you go out of, when you go out of country you know uh, the people know the stuff i worked on because um, you know, it's it's out there. It was promoted with a movie. It's on a lot of merchandise. Right. It's popular. You know, who doesn't like Spider-Man? Sure. And, and you know, the family cast of characters, good or bad. Right. So, you know, uh, people in Mexico are very familiar with my work. Uh, in Ireland, I, you know, they... They bring books I worked on in Ireland. <laughs> so that's that, pretty cool. That's fun. That's so fun. How long? How long of a flight is it 
to Ireland from from this area? You know, uh, so I, I I now live in the Fort Worth area. Mm-hmm. So I fly to Toronto. That's a few hours there. Right. And, and then uh, you know, depending on the layover there, and then you you fly about seven hours from Toronto to Ireland. That's a long time. So yeah. that's so I go to Toronto twice a year. It's about three hours there. So right. then, so another that's a little ten eleven hours. Yeah, in the air. Yeah, that's just in the air. Whew, that's yep. a long time. Yep. <laughs> and then the food is questionable. I, I felt that, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I I did enjoy the food in Ireland because I had fish and chips. Oh, of course. You, you know, too, right? Fantastic. You know, fresh cod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, excellent. So I, I, I ate a lot of that. So what's coming up for Sam in the in the near future? You know, uh, I have to refer to my website because oh. my schedule is on there. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, a minute ago, I couldn't even remember where I, I'm going to be next month. But oh. I do remember because I did look at my schedule a minute ago. Uh-huh. I'm going to be um, in um, San Diego for RocketCon All next right. month. Uh, I'm going to be in Hawaii oh, for nice. Amazing Comic Con. All right. Uh, I'm going to get as close to a volcano as I as physically can. can. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm in uh, uh, Chicago uh, for C2E2 at the end of the month. All right. There yeah. you go. Awesome. Yeah. One last question I'm going to get you out of here, I promise. What's your favorite city to go to? Uh, no, I, I, you know, okay, I, I'm. Ah, Ireland was fantastic. Yeah, you know? <laughs> because you know it's Ireland, right? So Where, was I, that was that Dublin or you know it? I I went to Dublin. I spent a little time there, but the show was in Waterford, you okay. know, a couple yeah. hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed Waterford, Ireland. Okay. Uh, it's a very historic community. It's right, you know, by the coast. Beautiful architecture. The people are just great. Yeah. So you know, I I really enjoyed um, Waterford, Ireland. Awesome. Well, it's been a great time having you here today. Uh, the fans that came through earlier it looked like they were all having a, a genuine good time. I had time, a good so, time, yeah. yeah. That's really awesome. So uh, on behalf of CBCS and Beckett, thank you for being here. We really appreciate that. Uh, do you uh, know your website off the top of your head so they can yeah, go check you out? because it's my name. It's ah. samdelarosa.com. <laughs> <laughs> go check him out on samdelarosa.com. Also, you can post on his Facebook page. You can post your, the pictures of the stuff that you have from him. So make sure you go do that. Uh, check him out at a show near you very soon. Guys, hang tight, and we'll be right back. This is Dan Pashman from the Sporkful Food Podcast, and you're listening to The Fat Packs. All right, for all you sports cars lovers, we're going to finally get off of comic books. We want to give a big thank you to uh, Sam De La Rosa and Donnie Cates from uh, Venom fame, from Thor fame, for stopping by and talking talking Venom and Thor and comic books. And But now... Uh, the star of the show, Stephen from Filth Bomb is here. What's going on, brother? How are you? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Appreciate I'm, it. Hey, I'm, I'm thrilled you're here. First, thank you for uh, sponsoring the show. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me, and I look forward to working with you in, into the future, man. It's going to be a, a great partnership, I think. I'm excited. I'm excited. Awesome. So um, what I what I like to do here is just get a little bit of background about you. Um, like how long? We'll just start there. How long have you been collecting in the hobby? I've been collecting my whole life. I, I'm relatively new to the hobby, though. I got like I went to maybe two or three card shows my whole life growing up. My family okay. didn't really have money like that, so all my buddies would go. You know, their parents would take them, and then my mom would give me like a dollar, and I'd be going through the twenty-five cent and the ten cent and trying to find Griffey Juniors. But I never was really into the hobby like that. I, my collecting was going to the deli, buying a pack of cards. Mm-hmm. Never anything good. It was always like top series one, 1998, <laughs> you know, there, no chance at an auto. And 
I basically got into the hobby. I found the whole Facebook world about three years ago and was like, wow, like this is what that is, huh? And then started going to the nationals and got all involved with that. And so I, I'm definitely relatively new to the hobby for sure. For sure. So, so when you were picking up those cards at the deli, you know, you, you're saying like, you know, top series one, you know, not that, that later stuff. What, were there, was there a player or a team that you were chasing or was it? What, oh, what, what, Griffey, what? man. Griffey, Griffey okay. Jr. Yeah, that was it. We, uh, all my buddies would buy packs and we try to trade. Like one of my buddies collected Pudge, one collected mm -hmm. Piazza, my brother collected Nomar. And then we were all, you know, try to get like the, see when you're buying packs, it's so much harder to hit the insert, you know, cause it's like the case hit. And there's 36 packs. We're up there with a dollar twenty-five, trying to, you know, saving throughout the summer. <laughs> so when somebody hit an uh, insert, you're like, no, you know, <laughs> and that person wasn't trying to trade. So sure, I yeah, I completely understand those those inserts, especially during that time period where they were a fun chase. But then you got, you know, you got one of those hard to hit inserts that it was all it was game over, right? You were oh, yeah. you were riding high for the rest of the summer. Oh yeah, game over, game <laughs> nice. over. So you said you found Facebook about well, you said about three years ago you found the hobby on Facebook. How, how did you did you just like happen to slip by and find it, or what happened? I couldn't even tell you. I I don't know. I guess I don't know. I just literally went on. Maybe I typed baseball cards. I have no idea, and mm. I couldn't even tell you how I discovered it. But mm. it was just once I did, it opened up my eyes. I was like, wait. This is so cool. You could buy, sell, trade. You know, it was like back right. in the day with the chat rooms on AOL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, except, except you saw who you were dealing with on Facebook or you're well, hoping. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, shady if it's actually going down, you know, because we all, what do we all remember about AOL is, you know, Dragon Mom 451 might actually be a 42 year old dude, you know, so oh, yeah. we're not, oh, we're not yeah. having that problem here. That's sweet. <laughs> So, so you find, you find the hobby on Facebook. What makes you start thinking you could break and, and start doing this, what you're doing now? Well, I always had a passion for cards, right? Like, even if it goes back to just sitting on my bedroom floor with stacks of commons and just trying to sort them out, trying to make complete sets and stuff. So I always had just like a passion for cards and I didn't even know about case breaks truthfully until I came across other breakers doing it. And I was like, you know what? That looks really fun. It looks like something mm -hmm. I could do. And I feel like I could do it better, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, let me do it. Let me start it up. And looking back now, a lot of people that started up didn't necessarily make it to the next level. So it definitely takes a passion and it takes it being your full-time job to actually succeed doing it. Mm -hmm. But I just knew right then and there, when I saw it happen, I was like, this is this is what I'm going to do. It's kind of, I used to be in the music business and it's very similar as far as if you wanted to succeed in that business, you needed to market, you needed to promote, you needed to be a personality. So it was very, it's kind of like everything happened for a reason in my life leading me up to this point sure. to where, although they're so different, they're so much alike as far as the groundwork and the hustle and the organic grassroot, you know, building your following. So, right. So, yeah, it's like, it's like your Facebook, your Facebook group is almost your street team out there, you know, hanging up flyers and stuff like that. It really is. It, yeah. it's, it's amazing how many times I'll see like on a Facebook group, hey, no any breakers. I'm looking for a good break group. And it's like, boom, one of my guys says something that I'm just like, oh, wow. Like, thank sure. you. 
you know, sure. and then another one and then another one. And then before you know, it, it's like, wow, that's how like these guys get famous in music because they got mm-hmm. people dropping their name 24 right. seven the referrals. It's awesome. Right. It is awesome. Is that how you built? Like I was looking at your Twitter feed. You got something like 30,000 followers on Twitter. Is that how you built your Twitter feed? No, that, that was all the label. So I'm okay. verified on there. So I was like, you know yeah. what? If anything came from that, I'm going to verify Twitter. I'm going to be the only breaker with a verified Twitter account. <laughs> you know? That helps. That helps a lot, man. I, I need that little blue check mark. How do you get that? I, need, like, I we'll couldn't talk even about, tell you. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> I, I just have it, and I, they never took it away, and I'm excited. <laughs> that's really that's really great for you. I was, I was saying earlier in the show, in the opening, that like I was like, I need to be sponsoring him and try to get some of that love because that's a that's a lot of followers for a breaker on 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 Twitter. How does that translate to to Facebook and, and other social media outlets? It's really it's so different. I mean, first off, it's a lot of followers, but it was more for the music. So it's like it's weeding out over the last year. It's like I'm losing followers, then I'm gaining followers that like the music. So right now it's still I mean, I like the sports card. So it's like a mix mox, right? Mm-hmm. Of just random, like it's not fully that many followers i think that truly follow sure. bomb but i find that it's so hard to convert on twitter so hard to convert on instagram like facebook i feel is the place that it's like 99 percent of my business comes from facebook it's so hard to get these people that aren't on facebook and are on twitter onto facebook you know yeah it's like if they don't have it they don't want it and it's um yeah, it doesn't cross over a lot, does it? I've, I've noticed when I post on my Facebook page, I'll post, hey, we're doing a giveaway on Twitter. And, like, the, the feedback is quick and it's it's, like, vicious. I don't have Twitter and I don't want it. I don't need it. Why, why don't you do a Facebook giveaway? And vice versa. So – Knowing, did you grow organically on Facebook then? With yeah. Just, yeah okay. was, like I have some of my guys, some guys from day one, when I started off, my first ever break, I think was like 18 tops high tech. And like literally to this day, some of the guys getting in like yesterday's break are the same guys that were in sure. that first ever bootleg break from my kitchen table, you know? <laughs> so let's talk about some of those barriers that like when you're starting – and you're trying, obviously, one, you got to build trust Two, you know, you got to at least know the product. So how did you prepare yourself for that side of it? How did you like, cause you got to do a lot of research to do, to be a breaker. Oh, yeah. How did you prepare? How did you prepare? Truth of the matter is when I, I just jumped into it, right? That's how I've done everything my whole life. Like I just jump into it, not necessarily prepared, but I learn real fast on the fly. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I was lying to people, but I was just confident in what I was doing. So, I mean, I, I didn't really know the most at the time, but they were in good hands. And I learned along with them. A lot of the guys that converted were guys, my group was originally vintage and then Mm. I converted them to modern and Mm. they kind of were on the journey with me from the beginning. You know, we were learning as I was ripping. Um, but the main thing was trust, right? So you mentioned that, um, my father, he does wealth management. He's a fiduciary, right? So it's big, right? You're always right. putting the client's interest first. So it's kind of like it rubbed off on me because I was always making sure it's rare to find in this hobby, especially, but I always wanted to make sure anything I do has their best interest, you know? So people have messaged me all the time. Like, Hey, should I take this? I'm like, no, slow down. 
You know, you don't necessarily, you don't need to take that team right now, or that's too risky, or, you know, that's why we put out the podcast. We're giving people investment advice as far as what cards they should go into. I mean, that doesn't help me necessarily. You know, I'm taking money out of potential buyer's pockets that could be getting in breaks, but it's, I feel like it's the right thing to do, you know? But that's a smart play on your part because you're, one, you're being upfront and honest with them, and two, not all, and we'll get to your podcast later because I think it's a great show. But two, you're you're also giving them you know free advice at their at their level, and I think that's what's important. You know, obviously you're gonna you're gonna handle, excuse the term, you'll probably handle a new collector or, or a new guy in breaks with a little bit of hand, kid gloves, saying you know this is not for you right now, like like you just said, but. Same time, you know, someone who's been doing it for five, six, seven years, you know that you don't have to have those same conversations with them and you you can relax a little bit. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And if you look at my group, you'll notice I stay away from skunk heavy products like mm-hmm. I'm those are the products where you make the most money as a breaker, you know, breaking those products with 30 cards, you know, sure. yeah. but. And it's not a hard sort. You don't have to pay your workers to sort. But at the end of the day, I tell them like five star, I try to stay away from it. I'm like, you're going to get skunked. I tell them straight up. There's 16 cards. Mm-hmm. There's 30 teams in baseball. 16 teams aren't even going to come out. I was like, so over 50% of you guys are leaving with nothing. Right. And, and they know, you know, so we try to stay away from stuff like that, from archives, you know, 20 card archive. I just mm-hmm. try to every we. I'm not afraid to go after the base heavy product, right? So you'll see me break to a six case player break at top series one. Like a lot of people aren't doing that. Sure. But but the collector loves it. You know, we we snap fill six case player breaks. So <laughs> that's I try to always keep, you know, do its best for the you know, for the filth bomber, so to speak. Sure. Right. That's so just- with that, obviously, then you're you're shipping base because that's a that's been a big topic lately is is shipping base. That is not exactly cost effective. How how are you doing that? Or because I it, think what's going to happen. So we're everything's just in motion, right? So like I change things up here and there just as we go. So for example, on some breaks, so I donate all commons um, to Ronald McDonald House. Okay. Right. So we, we put them in team bags, we get them all done nice and we donate them. So on certain products where it's base heavy, like who needs 100 Wilson Contreras cards, right? In like a player right. break. Right. At the end of the day, you really don't. And what are you going to It's going to go in a box and you're going to be like, why do I have 100 Wilson Contreras cards? So we'll talk to people and be like, hey, listen, all cards shipped. Do you really want all 100? You know, we'll ship you all the parallels. We'll ship you, you know, but and obviously if you're, it's a rookie, you want those cards. But do you mm-hmm. need 100 Ryan Bronze? At the end of the right. day, his like 12th year card. No, you don't. So people, they're realistic about it and we'll message them and be like, if you want to donate it, we'll donate it. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We'll sit there and sort it. We don't care. But if we could help out kids in the process too, sure. it's like a win-win, you know? What's your team like? I mean, you, you're saying we, so you have, what, three, four people that are working with you or how's your team uh, yeah. sort out of Yeah. So right now we have two or three guys that work out of here. Mm-hmm. And just full-time sorting, full-time shipping. Um, then we have a couple. So we have Derek, for example. He was with me when I first opened up. So we're we're renting out commercial space to, mm-hmm. that we're working out of. So he was the first one I put out. a. It was just me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I need help. You know, <laughs> it was, I'm like sorting out breaks. I'm like, I don't even have time. I don't know how I'm going to do this and grow. 
So Derek was the first one and he went like, I got lucky, you know, you get one person, you're one for one. So now he's going to start helping me out on the breaking side. We have Fred. He does all Star Wars, WWE, you know, stuff that I know nothing about. Like when I think WWE, I think Savio Vega. That's it. The Razor Ramon. <laughs> like that's all. I watched it for like five years, but back in the day. Sure. And um, so we have a nice little team. It's not huge, but sure. that's kind of like part of what makes us good. I feel like is we have like we're able to stay personal. I try to answer everyone. So I get like 50 PMs a day, probably just from people asking questions, just random stuff. You know, mm-hmm. would you invest in this guy? Which car would you rather have this or this? Do you know how much this card is? You know, when's this product drop? And I literally try to sit there and answer every single question. And I know a lot of other people aren't doing that. And I feel like that's part of what gives, you know, brings value to the brand for us. Well, let's let's talk about your podcasting because uh, I, I would call it more of a video cast or a vlog cast than a podcast. But yeah. you because you're, you're doing video, obviously, but you're taking the time you're, you're answering questions on there. Is it, first of all, is that a daily thing, a weekly thing? How, how are you running that out? Honestly, we just jumped into it, and after the first couple in a row, I was like, yeah, let's just do this every weekday night at 7 o'clock. Oh, you know? Then I mean, it's tough, and it takes up, you know, you're preparing mm-hmm. for that. You want to have some information ready so you don't look like a chooch, and then you also have your breaks lined up for later in the day. So it takes mm-hmm. – it becomes like a full-time job in itself, the sure. podcasting, but it's fun. I like it. You, It absolutely does. You don't have to tell me that twice. Uh, it's – I mean, we do it once a week, and it's like – the booking, the scheduling, the, uh, you know, the production, it, it, it runs long sometimes, but you guys are doing a really good job. And what, what I like about what you guys talk about on the, on your show is um, like, you're very knowledgeable for the current market stuff. And I love that. And you're dropping, you're just giving away free information as a, as a grader or a flipper. I don't know that a lot of people would do that, but you're like, Hey, this card's hot right now. These are a PSA 10 is selling at this. Go do your junk wax and find this. And that I think that's really cool of you. Yeah. I mean, and it definitely hurts me. Like, believe me, I'll give away like a sleeper. Like I'll be like, Oh, go buy a Blake Snell Bowman Chrome's rookies. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'll go on eBay and try to find like, ah, like, you know, (laughs) they all got snatched up or they're getting snatched up. They used to hit the bay and sit there for a day and I had time to get them. Now it's like, Wait, when did that go up? You know, somebody's right. out there sniping my Blake Snells. But <laughs> it is what it is. As long as, you know, there's enough to go around for everyone. And yeah, there actually is. You uh, you, you guys have a, a deal with PSA for uh, for your you guys who break and they want to send their cards to PSA. But th- that's one thing. But I want to talk about PSA cards in general. Like the, uh, the upside of those on some of those cards is just crazy stupid. When did you start noticing that? And how do you think that's going to play out? I mean, I noticed, so like I said, when it comes to modern, anything I know modern, so although I seem knowledgeable, I just pick things up really fast. Like I just, so whereas somebody will go in half-ass, so to speak, and they'll like dabble, 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 you know, I'll just go in full head of steam. Mm -hmm. I'll spend stupid money, lose money, but I'm learning (laughs) at the same time, you know, from my mistakes. And I'm like, all right, well, that's dumb. Yep. Never doing that again. This is bad. So with PSA, I, I realized, I mean, recently I was like, hold on, you could take a $2 card, put it in a slab and now it's 25 bucks, you know? And like, that's on the lower end. But then I'm looking at cards. I'm like, these guys really care about pop reports. Like if you take this one card, it's a pop two. 
this car is worth whatever you want it to be. Right. Absolutely. You know? So I don't know if it's a bubble. I mean, I think it is a bubble. I think everything right now that's going on, the market is so strong, which is amazing. It's really, really strong, but I can't see it staying like this forever. It's never been like this, you know, mm -hmm. so I don't think it'll crash, but I think eventually things have got to level out at, at some point. Sure. You know? that, that makes a lot of sense, man. And so my, my follow-up to that would be is with everything that's gone on with PSA in, in the grading world in the last year, is it surprising to you like that one, they still had a, a record year for grading and two people are still buying PSA is that I'm not, and I'm not trying to knock on them, but I, I sit down and I see the market reports and I'm like, well, how or why people just don't seem to care. It's like, like the way I think of it is like this Pepsi. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So if something happened with Pepsi, 99% of the people aren't reading that anyway, and they're still going to buy Pepsi. Sure. Right. So like PSA is just PSA. So no matter what's going on, if Joe Blow knows that his card in a PSA holder is going to bring more money, Joe Blow is going to go to PSA regardless. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's all about the dollar for 99% yeah. of the hobby. So I think that until something happens where people are going to be like, now nah, we're not going to use it. They're going to stay on top. It's yeah. impossible not to, especially yeah. if the results keep, you know, if it keeps staying as high as it is like Zion's man, you see what the Zion's are doing? Like silver yeah. PSA tens. It's ridiculous. To raw? It's ridiculous. I mean, and my man didn't even play yet. But so yeah, let's talk about that just for a quick moment. He's scheduled to play tonight. Um, what are your thoughts? What are your just initial feelings on like, if he comes out and, you know, scores 15, has six boards, but just has a monster duck dunk. Is the is the roof going to blow off again? Or are we going to come back down to earth a little bit? I, I, how can it get high? That's the thing. It's priced right now as if he is Luca. Yeah. You know? So it's like in order for your stuff to like, what's a silver Luca 1800. And then what's a silver Zion. It's what like 11, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. So it's like, he's already priced in to almost being Luca, right? So how much higher can it go? You, you know, Luca's putting up unheard of numbers this year. Yeah. Zion hasn't played and they're almost, you know, what is Never he like 30%? No, less in value. So I mean, initially say just say at an for giggles, he puts up 25 and 15 tonight. Mm -hmm. I think it's gonna jump. But like yeah. realistically, how it's going to get to the point where the collector's like, yeah, I, I, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense, though. I can't buy it at this price because he's not Luca, he's not LeBron, he's mm -hmm. not Giannis. So if he has a bad game, I think it, I don't even see it dropping right now because people want him to succeed so bad. Mm -hmm that everyone's going to give him the benefit of the doubt and nobody's going to want to cut ties yet. It's only one right. game that it's going to be a sample size, small sample size, but if he does good, it's going to be more than a small sample size. That's what I see. Yeah, there, there are literally millions of dollars riding on, on what could possibly happen tonight, you know? So I think that's an interesting uh, concept to, to go into tonight's game and, and, and watch and see what happens with that hobby mindset going, this this could be a you know a million dollar night for somebody.
literally a million dollars. Crazy. And, yeah. and it's one game. It's not yeah. the finals. It's it's and like even a case of prism, right? They were going at four thousand they were going for four thousand forty two hundred, just hobby two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Now they're up to sixty five hundred. Mm. So it just shows you the hype of this. He hasn't even played. What there's nothing making except Jaws having a nice season, but Jaws not going to drive up the price of a case fifty percent in two right. weeks. Right. You know, so it's all Zion right now. The only so, thing that could hurt him is injury. If he comes out and busts his knee up, mm-hmm. then you'll see some investors starting to be like, "Yeah, let's cut ties." So Jaws, another interesting name. Uh, I get. I mean, if you if you followed college basketball last year, you knew it was possible, but. Like his stuff in the last two weeks has just gone through the roof too. And it's amazing. I think it's fun to see because he's actually playing. He's actually going out and, you know, doing things on the court. He's flying over people. I think that man is half airplane. It's nuts. And I I think I'm having more fun watching him and see his, seeing his realistic prices than, you know, than hoping for Zion. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I think, see, I don't even do basketball like that. I'm a baseball guy, but it's, the concept follows no matter which sport it is. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why his prices are jumping right now too is people are priced out of Zion. You know, mm-hmm. the average collector cannot afford Zion. So what's the sure. next best thing? All right, let's try to get lucky with Ja. You right. know, hopefully yeah. Ja will go up to near Zion prices. <laughs> so it's it's the same thing in baseball though, right? Like Acuna got priced out. Then next was Glaber. People mm-hmm. like, all right, let's try Glaber because we can't afford Acuna anymore. You know, or the bat down, the famous bat down Acuna. So let's go after the short print Glaber. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It, it's a lot of it has to do with the top guy at that moment being pricing people out, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but because I, I know that we got stuff to do today. So uh, before we get out of here, though, we haven't talked about your break smucks, where to find them, you know, what, what kind of special things you guys are doing over there because you guys are filling breaks really, really fast. Tell me about Filth Braun Breaks and, you know, some of the some of the specifics that what's unique that you guys are doing that maybe other breakers aren't. All right. So I think what makes us so unique is the process from A to Z. Right. So you'll get in a break. You're not going to have to wait for it to fill. Our breaks fill. We fill two breaks daily, sometimes more. But it's after you're in the break, which makes it great. So we have we offer a high ex, um, level of experience. We have different camera angles. Um we offer card review after the break, which is pretty cool. No one else does that. So if you pull, for example, like right here, this is from last night's break, Fernando Tatis refractor. So if you pull that card in our break, I'll look it over for you for free. I'll give you my opinion if it's going to gem or not, if we send it to PSA. And then you can make a decision right there and turn a $3 refractor into a $25 refractor just mm-hmm. based on that. So I, I try to add value from every angle. Um, with the breaks, we offer a group submission rate for that. If you want to grade and, um, I mean, yeah, it's just the experience itself. It's entertaining. We try to make it, you know, if you're going to be somewhere for an hour, you don't want to be bored. So we try to, you know, we try to offer the full package. Absolutely. You guys do a good job. It's a, it's evident by the, the one, how fast you feel breaks and two, you know, the feedback that I'm seeing, you guys are pulling just huge cards. I love seeing what your customers are getting out of your, uh, out of your breaks. So um, as a breaker yourself, are you a little bit jealous ever? Like, Oh man, I wish I could have had that. Or are you just happy for the customer? Not going to lie. Anytime I pull a trout, 
there's like a like a trout big auto there's mm-hmm. a million things going through my head like the second <laughs> i see it before i even announce it i'm like all right who owns the angels all right are they an angel collector all right well they sell this card and before <laughs> i even announce it i'm like this because i love trout right and so sometimes yeah i get a little salty if somebody <laughs> pulls the trout but i'm happy for them but at the same time i'm going to do everything i can to make sure that doesn't leave the studio absolutely i understand completely man you gotta have it right you gotta yeah. have it so, um, all right, give us uh, give us your social media and where you know where they can where my listeners can find your breaks so they can be a part of them. All right, so you're gonna have the most success getting in a break if you join our Facebook group. You could just type in simply Filt Bomb Breaks. There's gonna be a case break by Filt Bomb Breaks, and there's gonna be an advice group. Just join them both. Um, the Twitter handle is at Stephen Michael Four S T E P H E N Michael Four. Um, then we have Instagram, Filt Bomb Breaks, where we post our daily hits. And is there anything else? YouTube, Filt Bomb Breaks. Just search Filt Bomb Breaks anywhere and it'll, everything will pop up on any social media, except for like the new stuff. I'm not really tech savvy. You're not tech savvy. You're doing like, a good job. You got a green screen. You're, you're doing all right. Would you believe that? Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. As somebody, it was just like music, like not to go back to it, but like Pro Tools and everything. Yeah. I had no idea how it worked. I just knew how to do it. You know what I mean? I knew nothing about the underlying, you know, how, yeah. why, why it's sounding like this and nothing about frequencies, but I just made it sound good because someone showed me. Same thing with this. Like I have a green screen. I don't know why or how it works, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> Ebbetsville too, man. That's uh, a little bit of history there. That's That's nice. That's nice. All right. So uh, let's, uh, let's have you on again pretty soon. Okay. Because uh, anytime, anytime that you guys are doing a daily podcast at 7 PM. So don't miss that. But we got some news breaking on. Let's get you back on. And I saw that you were going to do a Royal Rumble break. If that goes through, you got to have me, you got to have me there because, um, I no, love wrestling. I'm man. a mark. I'm a mark. I'm a wrestling mark. So I can I can at least help you through the process. Well, I might have to have you. I'll bring you on the screen while it's live. We'll have you at the uh, on the bottom. Yeah, there we'll you go. Do it. Awesome. It's gonna be fun. I know nothing awesome. about it, so we'll see. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining me this week. I really appreciate it. Make sure you go check out Steven at Filth Bomb Breaks. I want to give a shout out to my other uh, my other sponsors as well, Pastime Marketplace. Dynasty Breaks and Vintage Breaks. Go check them out. Patronize them. Let them know that the Fat Pack sent you. Guys, uh, until next week, just keep listening. Cue the Drake.